Well, it's wonderful to see everyone here this morning. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're beginning a new study this morning. We're going to be walking through the letter to the Hebrews. As you might be able to pick up on, as we're going to cover about a verse and a half this morning, we'll be in Hebrews for a while. Uh, but it is a, a letter that is worthy of our attention and our care as we look to see the Lord's Word spoken to us. I read this week that 74 gigabytes of information a day is the rate of consumption for the average modern American. 74 gigabytes of information. That equates to the information in about 16 full-length movies. That's how much we consume on average each day. We get information from radio and televisions and phones and tablets. We read blog posts and listen to talk shows, watch TikTok videos and follow podcasts. And not only do we encounter information from sources that we pursue, we also are targeted by advertisements all of the time. You hear about Cymbalta's potential benefits and side effects. You hear BK... Have it your way. Feller Chevrolet. Who knows how it ends? In Alta Vista. We have all of this information coming at us almost continually. Now, 74 gigabytes of information is what a highly educated person 500 years ago would have encountered in his entire life. And we encounter it in one day. And we weren't designed for such a flood of information. Our minds are not equipped to process all of this input. That is to say, our upload speed is lower than the world's download speed. More is coming in than we could possibly analyze and process and store and do anything with. So what does this overabundance of information mean? Well, first, it means that the things that we want to know and understand can be easily crowded out by those things that are secondary, right? We all have limited mental space and capability, and the Burger King jingle is taking up some space in my head. I don't care to have that in my head, but Burger King is very happy that I have it in my head. Second... This overflow of information means that we have multiple competing voices vying for the truth. We have access to so many different views that it's difficult to evaluate what is true and what is false. Take the question of nutrition, for example. What is the most healthful diet for us to follow? You have people arguing from everything from a vegan diet in which you eat no animal products all the way to the carnivore diet in which you only eat animal products. 
There are low-fat, high-carb diets. There are low-carb, high-fat diets. There's the fireman diet, the keto diet, the paleo, the Adkins, and the sad diet, which ironically means the standard American diet. (laughs) And which one is correct? Well, it seems that even the most highly educated nutritional scientists can't agree. And so we have all these different voices speaking into us, telling us what we should do and how we should live. And the average person just can't know what way he should follow. And this question goes well beyond diet. What is politically true and what should we follow? What is medically true? What is socially or morally or religiously true? We are living in a time in which the overabundance of information has paralyzed us by confusion because of the sheer volume that is coming at us. I've used this illustration before, but I'll go to it again because it was so profound and impactful to me. My dog, Bay, once found a nest of squirrels on the Blackwire Creek Trail. And as he approached this nest of squirrels, one squirrel popped out and he lunged at it. But as soon as that one came out, another one came out and he lunged at that one. And then all of a sudden, dozens of squirrels were popping out all over the place. And he was so confused about which one to follow when he went from one to the other to the other that he never caught anything. And that is how our lives that are inundated with information after information after different opinion after different opinion plays out. We have so much that is coming at us that we have no way of following one track of information. So what are we to do? Well, we could turn off some of the information. However, unless we are willing to exit the modern world completely, that strategy is only going to provide minimal relief. Maybe you'll go from 74 gigabytes to 30 to 20, but it's still more than you'll be able to process. Rather, in the midst of this ocean of opinions, the way that we must deal with it is by having an island of truth. We need a fortress, a bulwark against the flood of information that is coming against us. When there are 74 gigabytes of information, we need one source that trumps everything else. A word that speaks louder and more authoritative than all the other voices that are coming into us. In a world of endless words, we need one final word. As we begin our study of the book of Hebrews, the author begins with the final word. The highest authority to which he can appeal. The word of God. There is very little we know about the background of this letter. We don't know the author. We don't know the audience. There have been educated guesses made as to both. And yet there have never been a definitive answer. In other New Testament books, the author identifies himself and his audience. But here, the letter assumes that the recipient knows who is speaking and, of course, who is listening. And as we read through this letter, there are a few points that we can glean. First, the author assumes that his audience is very familiar with the Old Testament. 
He liberally quotes the Old Testament scriptures and bases all of his points on the overarching narrative of the Jewish people. This assumed knowledge of the Old Testament is why the book is called the letter to the Hebrews, because we assume the people reading it were Hebrew in their background. They grew up learning the Old Testament scriptures. The next thing that we pick up on in this letter is that these people were facing persecution for their faith in Christ. And this persecution was causing them to waver on the exclusivity and the superiority of Jesus Christ. There were forceful voices saying that they need to revert back to Judaism and leave behind this new teaching. And the final thing that we can note is that the author is intent upon proving from the scriptures that Jesus is the fulfillment of every Old Testament promise. He continually highlights that in a world of confusion and competing religious voices, Jesus is the better word. And concerning what we are to believe, he is the final word. So let us hear now the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1. I'll read verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Father God, As we begin our journey through the letter to the Hebrews, we pray, O God, that you would bless the study of your word. That you would guide us by your spirit. And that in your light, we may see true light. And in the truth of your words spoken to us, that we might find freedom. And in your will, that we might discover your peace given to us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. The first and most profound reality that we must see in our passage for this morning is the idea, the truth, That God speaks to his people. In verses 1 and 2, there is a contrast that's being made that will help to explain how it is that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament that will take us throughout the whole letter to the Hebrews. You see, the author contrasts long ago 
with these last days. He contrasts many ways with one final way. He contrasts the prophets with the Son. And yet each of these contrasts highlights the centrality, the centrally important truth that God has spoken to our fathers and God has spoken to us. In a world that's filled with limitless sources of information and opinions, there is one voice that must rise above all else, and it is the voice of God. It is the voice of the one who created all things for his purposes and glory. It is the words of the one who brought this world into existence by his very word. You see, when I have a health question, I tend to ask my doctor, If I had a question about finances, I would ask a financial advisor. If I ever wanted to know anything more about soccer, I would ask Pastor Whalen. Why? Well, because they have a level of knowledge and expertise that goes beyond what I have. I'm not just going to go up to some random person at the park and say, hey, where should I invest my money? Or what do you think is the proper path for me to go health wise? And if we would know the truth about this world, what we are to believe and how we are to live in it, then we must go to the source. We must go to the one who created us and sustains us by his word. And this is what the author is arguing in these opening verses. He is saying that in a world of confusion and fear, in a world of multiple vying opinions, there is one word, there is one voice that speaks above all else and is the word of God. And if we would know truth, if we would cut through the haze of doubt and indecision, then we must listen to one voice above all other voices and it is the voice of God. Do you believe? That God has spoken to his people? Do you trust that there is a clear and authoritative word that tells us all that we need to know and believe in this world? Is there a final word spoken? This is one of the central claims of the Christian faith that God has spoken to us in his written word. That he has chosen to reveal himself to us in Scripture. You see, the Bible is not primarily words about God or stories about what God has done. The Bible is God's word about himself. It's very important that you understand this distinction because many people approach the Bible in the wrong way. They think, well, this is a collection of stories and opinions about who God is. And maybe they're even true opinions about who God is. But the reality is, is that Scripture presents itself not as the imaginations of man trying to understand God, but rather the Bible presents itself as God speaking to His people about who He is and what He has done. And that distinction is centrally important. Because the Bible is God speaking to us. This is the claim that the Bible makes for itself over and over and over again. In the book of Exodus, we read, God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's not that Moses said that God is, I am who I am. It is that God said to Moses. Later we read, 
And God spoke all of these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Throughout the prophets, we read the phrase, thus says the Lord. At the very beginning of our study of Ezra and Nehemiah, we read in Ezra 1.1, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read, all scripture is breathed out by God. The source of the word is not man. The source is God speaking it forth. Or in 2 Peter chapter 1, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we could add verse upon verse upon verse. However, it all comes down to this one claim that has been made here in Hebrews chapter 1. God speaks to His people in His Word. Do you believe it, Christian? Do you believe that God speaks to you when you open up your Bible and read it? Do you believe that when the Word of God is read and prayed and sung and preached that God is speaking to His people? The world is desperately seeking and debating what is good and right and true and beautiful. But we need to not join their fruitless ventures of trying to find out what is true. Because God has given us what is true in His Word. He has spoken to us that we need not join such vain quests. For He says that His Word is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near to you, says the word of God. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. God has spoken to us. And we need not be confused about what we are to believe and what we are to do. For His Word is right here spoken to us, His people. In a world of confusion and distraction, we must be a people who see clearly by focusing our attention upon the Word of God above all else. The world will be pulled along by these ever-changing tides of opinion. But those who look to the Lord and listen to His Word will have an anchor that will tie them to what is true. Over the past few years, my kids have discovered the joy of painting with Bob Ross. And one of the lovely aspects of watching this show is the simplicity of the program. Right? You have that opening graphic and song, but the remainder of the show is just Bob Ross calmly walking his audience through painting a landscape where there are never any mistakes, there are only happy little accidents. And while the show provides no real drama, every once in a while he does something so drastic that it seems that he's ruined his whole painting. He'll add a big glob of titanium white or Van Dyke brown and you think, oh, Bob, what are you doing? Your mountain was so beautiful. Why did you obscure it? Why did you put a big tree right there in front of it? And inevitably, by the end, you realize that Bob knew what he was doing. And there was a purpose. 
And there was a design for each stroke. And despite our initial confusion, once again, in a half an hour, Bob Ross has created a piece of art. As we think about God speaking to his people, we realize that his word is like a painting. There is a plan and a process that has played out over centuries. But in the end, all of his various words come together in one final glorious whole. And if we would have a unified view of this world, if we would have an escape from the confusion of this world, then we must understand that God speaks to his people according to a plan. Again, in our passage, we read long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. There are two eras of God's revelation that equate to our understanding of the Old and New Testament. Prior to the coming of the Son, and now in the Son, long ago, and in these last days. God spoke in various ways and at various times in the past. That word translated many times carries with it the sense of many pieces. In the past, God spoke to us in a piecemeal fashion. He gave to us some of the parts of the puzzle, He gave to us fragments of the whole, the words that were spoken to and through Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and the rest of the Old Testament prophets were true words from God. They were correct. They were life giving words, but they were not complete words. They were parts of a puzzle. They were pigments of a painting that was yet to be completed. But in the New Testament. This fragmentary nature of God's speech comes together. We see particularly the Apostle Paul referring to this as the mystery. Not a mystery to be solved, but a truth that's remained hidden until God's appointed time. And in these last days, at the dawn of Christ, the mystery has been revealed. Listen to how Paul explains this truth in Ephesians 1. He says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. You see, these last days, Paul here refers to as the fullness of time. And both refer to the current age that has been initiated by Christ. And in this age, all the fragmentary truths of God's revelation have come together in the person and the word of Jesus Christ. He is the peace that brings the puzzle to completion. He is the lens through which all God has spoken now must be viewed. He is the fulfillment of all that God promised throughout his word up to the point of his birth. And as we go through the letter to the Hebrews, we will see this is the foundational truth for understanding all that God has said. All of God's words are pointing to Jesus Christ. The law, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, the priesthood and the kingdom all find their ultimate purpose and fulfillment in Jesus. 
And if they do not point us to Jesus, then we have not rightly understood them. We are missing the final piece of the puzzle. We have an unfinished painting. Because Jesus is the final and complete word that God has spoken to his people. There are no more words that need to be said. For the life of Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the law. The death of Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of the priesthood. The resurrection of Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of God's kingly victory for his people. Now, the technical term for what we have been talking about for this reality is progressive revelation. So for those of you who will end up in seminary one day, you got a head start. God speaks to his people in a progressive manner. He doesn't just merely drop the Bible out of the heavens. Oh, look at this. No, he works in and through historical events and persons to reveal the truth of his word. And with each revealed truth, the people of God were given a new piece of the picture. But it wasn't until the coming of Christ that God's revelation progressed to its ultimate goal. And if we would have a unified understanding of God's word and of this world, then we must understand how all of these things come together in the final word, which is Christ. We need to see that he is the answer to every question that we have in this world. Even as Colossians 2, 3 explains, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when the world is being pulled in all manner of immorality and lunacy, we can remain grounded as we look to Christ as the final word. All of God's work coming to its fullest clarity in what the Son has accomplished. You see, to have a unified understanding of this world, to not be led into all manner of confusion, we must believe that God has spoken. We're not in the dark. We're not trying to grope ourselves towards the light and the truth. Rather, the light has shone into the darkness. God has pierced our ignorance with the truth of his word. We're not called to climb upon the mountain and to gain knowledge. We are called rather to receive God's truth from on high. Next, we must understand that God's word comes to us according to his plan. It progresses until it finds its fulfillment in these last days. Yes, there are times where there's confusion. Yes, we must work through how all of this comes together. But we must ultimately have faith that it is in Jesus Christ that all of the different threads will be woven together into a coherent tapestry of beauty. Some people will ask me, do you think that we are in the last days? And I will affirm that we definitely are in the last days. But last days is not a reference to how many days we have left. Rather, it's a reference to the final and full revelation of God's plan in Christ. The last days are the fullness of time. The last days are the days when the world has the fullest revelation of God, which is Jesus Christ. And we must understand that God has spoken to us according to a plan and a purpose. There are many Christians who are confused on this topic, even as 
the recipients of this letter seem to be. Some teach and believe that there is a divide between the Old Testament people of God, Israel, and the New Testament people of God, the church. There is a belief that people in the Old Testament were saved by obeying the law of Moses, but now in Jesus there is a new way of being saved according to grace. But Jesus is not the alternate path of salvation. The church is not the secondary people of God. No, God's people were always and always will be saved by looking to his word and faith that has pointed them to its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this is the final thing that we must see in our text for this morning. If we would be delivered from the confusion of our age, then we must trust that God speaks his final word to us in his son. Our passage again says, That long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In the Old Testament era, God spoke by the prophets. As highlighted earlier, the Bible continually testifies that God spoke through these prophets. He used the writings of Moses to speak to his people. The history of Israel. The Psalms of David, the prophetic utterances of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the like. God chose to use human agents and human language to communicate with his people. And yet in these last days, the final word has been spoken to us by God's son himself. Now, this does not merely mean that God has spoken to us through the verbalized teachings of Jesus. It doesn't mean less than that, but it does mean more. Because God has spoken to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through His Word. Later in Hebrews 12, we read that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The final word from God is the work of His Son. And to have a clear and true understanding in this world of skepticism and doubt, in this world of agnostics and atheists, we must trust this better word that has been spoken to us by Christ. This final word in which Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to know the truth is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is to look to the cross in faith, to believe that the word of God incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ has come to its ultimate fulfillment, that the word has been perfectly fulfilled in his life of obedience and that he went to the cross where he poured out his blood so that whosoever would trust in him might have full forgiveness of sin, renewal of heart and mind and the promise of life everlasting. The world will continue to be a vast wasteland of self-contradicting claims until you come to see that Jesus Christ is the truth. And then and only then will you be freed from the darkness of ignorance and doubt and know what is true. Seventy-four gigabytes of data. It's too much. However... There is a way of salvation through this flood of information and it is the ark of Christ. You see, when you know and trust 
the word that God has spoken, then you are able to engage in this world with a clear sense of what is up and what is down, what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, what is beautiful and what is distorted. The rest of the world is stuck in a malaise of uncertainty. Those who do not have Christ in the foundation of God's word are being tossed about. And we are witness to the insanity that ensues when a society writ large abandons truth wholesale. So in the midst of this flood of information and uncertainty, we must fix our eyes upon the truth of God's word and see that in Christ there is a final deciding word of truth, an island, a bulwark against the flood in which we will find life, in which we will find truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come and we fix our minds upon the truth of your word and as we ponder these opening verses in the book of Hebrews, Lord, we're reminded of Pilate's question to the Lord Jesus Christ as he stood trial and asked, what is truth? You know the irony of the question as he stood before the one who is truth. Father, we pray that you would give to us the courage and the forbearance to hold to the truth, to the word that is above every word, to the final word that supersedes all else. Give to us the grace to believe in what your son has spoken and what he has accomplished on our behalf. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.